T-minus 10, 9. You're listening to the Launchpad Podcast with J-Man. Brought to you by Galant Media. Here's your host, J-Man. Like, I'm a total wine noob. That's why, Rob, you're here, okay, to kind of guide me through. And when I say noob, I mean I know fucking nothing. I can barely spell (laughs) wine, okay? Uh, So that's why we have Rob here from the Drunken Grape uh, to help walk us through a wine and a couple of Rattlers. So thank you for joining me on the podcast, my friend. Hey, you're very welcome. Great to be great to be here, Jason. You know, it's uh, a lot of interesting things and interesting times. And, you know, the beauty of wine and beer is at least it can bring a lot of joy to people during troubled times or at least help ease the pain if you're going through a lot. And, you know, a big shout out to all those tuning in and listening and um you know much love to people that are actually going through some difficult time right now right all right so we're gonna have some fun and we're gonna get fucked up no i'm kidding (laughs) but we're gonna have some i'll try to keep this pg so you can actually share it with your network uh but i have picked up a wine that you suggested and we'll we'll go into this a little bit later on we won't start drinking right away but this is what wine tell me a little bit more about this so that's a Cabernet blend. I believe the vintage is 2018. I've got it right here, 2019. So it's actually very new. So this would have been vinified back in 2019 into the fall, winter after the grapes are harvested Whoa. and bottled, just to slow it down, bottled and released just recently after it aged for maybe about a year. And you need to slow down already. You've already lost me. You said it was <laughs> wineaged or something. What did you say right off the top? The vintage. The vintage. Okay. Again, I don't know, and there's going to be a lot of people here that don't know. So, Rob, you're a savant when it comes to this stuff, and I'm going to frustrate you. I know it, but don't worry. We're going to get through this together, I promise. Okay, so this is a rather new wine, and why did you decide to go with this one? Well, it's a budget-conscious option, uh, first of all. It's local, second of all. I mean, support local is bigger now than ever before, and it's actually a very good quality wine. Now, that comes from a parcel of land. I mean, they've got 300 acres under vine in the Niagara region. Okay. Um, very close to St. Catharines. I think St. Catharines is about 15 miles away. You're in this beautiful belt of the Niagara Escarpment or the peninsula. Beautiful microclimate. It's warm. It tends to be a much warmer year-round than here, for instance, or even Toronto. You've got the moderating effect of the lakes. And the quality of grapes coming out is steadily just getting better and better and better. And you've got a lot of world-class wineries. And Henry of Pelham is definitely a world-class winery. I've right. been there. So it's, it's a great spot. Right. So is this like where you get towards Belleville, then you take that bridge across the way? Is that another winery? Like there's a big area around that. What's that area called? That's uh, Prince Edward County. Prince Edward County. And I hear that's a great place to go as well as just a beautiful scenic drive. Yeah. So, you know, you're getting up more towards Sandbanks National Park. In fact, Sandbanks National Park really typifies that whole area because right across from like vineyards like Sandbanks, for instance, you can actually see the entranceway to Sandbanks National Park. Okay. And that's a much newer region. So Ontario organized to become a vqa in the 90s it was given law in 88 to form so it might have actually be as far back as 88 whereas prince edward county formed as an actual designated wine producing region in 2007 so it's pretty recent okay yeah because i went to belleville 
for college. Yeah. I went to Loyalist yeah. College. So that wasn't a thing when I was there. Thank God. Can you imagine with all the high school <laughs> college students doing like this? Oh, yeah. It'd oh, be yeah. crazy. I, I, can, I can only imagine. I'm thinking my days in university at Carleton University where, you know, it was more important to spend time playing euchre in between classes and drinking beer than it was to really focus on your classwork when you're 19, 20 years old. Right. Can you imagine parking breweries and wineries right beside the school? What would happen? be a disaster an absolute disaster <laughs> so what got you into wine like i remember when i was younger i'd go to the market and i'd want my seagram's wine cooler remember those make your mouth all yes. all red and i just i didn't like beer and i'm just going to take a swing at this but i'm going to guess that wine is very much an acquired taste just like beer um I believe it is. I mean, if you naturally think back as a child, for instance, I mean, in Europe, kids are introduced to wine at the dinner table at a much earlier age. It's part of regular everyday life. Right. Um, my stepmother's European. So, you know, when she came around, I was about 15 and wine was sort of steadily integrated throughout dinner. You try a little bit of it at Easter, Christmas, celebratory times, right? And the thing is, at first you sip it and you're like, what's, what is this? You know, it's like, first of all, it's alcohol. Beer is acquired. Well, I believe wine has, is acquired. It's a bit less acquired than beer, but at first the natural reaction is get this crap out of here. Where's my Coke or ginger? Yeah. You know, I always liked rum and Cokes and things like that. Right. Yeah. Liquor was easier for me to, when I first started drinking it was booze and then I moved to beer and wine and Really what got me on the journey professionally, just circling back to that, because you asked me how I got into this. I grew up with a father that made wine and beer incessantly. He was always reading about wine and beer. He knew a lot about it. Mm -hmm. So warp ahead many years later, I used to work in the cruise line industry. Then I went into technology for five years. And I had a business with a partner that ripped me off, ripped off some consultants, a shady piece of work. He's in hiding somewhere. Um, but uh, I was at a crossroads and I was trying to figure out, yeah, exactly. I was trying to figure out what am I going to do next? Yeah. And I was thinking project management. So I went over to my late father's house, um, which I'm actually sitting in right now. And he asked me what I wanted to do because he knew that shit at the fan and he knew that I was also bartending at a hotel at the time. And I enjoyed that part, enjoyed hospitality. And he looked at me and he said, you know, if I were to do it all over again, I think you should consider this. He goes, project management's just browbeaten. It's technical. It's boring. He goes, you know, you understand it. Sure. He said, and you probably do really well at it. He goes, why don't you try the wine and beer world? And I was like, hmm, that does sound fun. And then I started to explore with educational opportunities, found out that Vendage offered what's called the WSCT or Wine Spirit Education Trust, which is the forefront of wine education globally. It's offered right. here. So you know? wine just tastes like wine to me, though, right? Okay. So that's why I have you here, because okay. it's like anything else. If I'm a carpenter and I walk into a house, maybe I'm looking at the woodwork, right? Like it's something that I know and I can appreciate. And I think the problem when it comes to just a lot of people when it comes to wine that maybe get away from it or decide that it's not for them is that they never build up an appreciation for it, right? So when you said buttery, I'm like, how does anything wine taste buttery, <laughs> right? But because you have that, that, that special ability, that palate that, that you've obviously worked on, uh, you know, you could add some real value to where maybe I have this and because I'm a little bit more open-minded and I'm thinking like you're thinking, maybe it's something that I can enjoy and it will help people that already enjoy wine 
just a little bit more, right? So you're most definitely the person for the job. I've heard phenomenal things about you. When I shared awesome. months ago that I was going to have a wine guy on, they're like, is it going to be Rob? Like, fuck, people knew. So, <laughs> so, you know, getting into this expression, you've got one of them in your hand with Henry Pelham. There's a lot of things, first of all, that go into winemaking. Um, what are the soil types wine's grown in? What other crops and vegetation grows around it in that climate or microclimate? These are going to infect, inf affect and inflect flavor later on. Whether the soils like loose and sandy or gravelly and stony will determine mineral quality in the grape as well. You know, you get into some soil types that's high in calcium and high in magnesium. It affects flavors. So this is where you ask, how do you get these tastes like butter out of a Chardonnay? Well, what happens to Chardonnay, for instance, in that one example, is there's a thing called malolactic fermentation that happens if you age it in an oak barrel. Of course. It's common with red. Red wine does this all the time. What it does is it takes tartaric acids or things like, uh, you know, acids off apple and fruit and turns them into malic acid, which is more buttery. It's like uh, malic and lactic acid almost appear in it. Okay. So it gets like this buttery, milky characteristic within the body. And often that affects the weight of the wine. You know, when somebody says, wow, this is creamy in my mouth, it's because it probably went through that type of process at some point in most cases. Yeah. I want to crack into this now. It's important to have a sure. nice glass, I'm sure. And what I love about this is for a dude like me, Screw top, bam! We just yeah, turn up like this. I'm having a hard time with it. What? I have like lady hands here. Okay, so screw cap, yeah, screw cap is awesome because it preserves an anaerobic environment, it keeps air out the best. Wanna... Mm. And that'll never a good way to smell your wine. You always <laughs> want to open it up in a okay, glass, or, you gotta or open you want to decant. You want to decant it or open it up in, let it go into a glass and it opens up. The flavors will open up as the air so hits it. How much That's should I be putting in here? How much uh, should I be you know, in start here? with like maybe two ounces, three ounces, like really? a tasting. Because that's not what I see any lady do. <laughs> They're like, put the no, whole bottle no. in that thing. Put the whole bottle in there. Okay. Or they try to chug it. But I mean, that, yes. It. Yeah, ladies will try to just dump as much wine. And that's good right there. But just right take there. it, give it a slight swirl. You know, just shake it, agitate it a little bit because this opens up a lot of the fennels from fermentation. And With the, wine, then you want to wine. Fennels? You want to fennels? fennels are flavor notes that come out from yeasts and other extracts. Okay, okay. Remember, or from the fruit itself, or so, from fermentation. Now, so, with this, what am I looking to smell? What am I well, looking to get out wine, of this? Wine, you're always going to want to. Uh, you're always going to want to look, smell, taste. So you look at the wine first in a glass and you can tell this one's very clear. There's a purplish ruby hue to it. Natural light will expose a lot of things. You can see it's clear. It's pretty devoid of any particles or particulates. It means that it's been filtered really well. Okay. Um, this means that this wine's probably going to be clean. The next thing to do is get a smell of the nose because what happens is your olfactory system, which is your sense of smell and taste, is about 85% controlled by your soft palate and what you breathe in or inhale. It's not based on what you taste specifically in your mouth. Because, okay. you know, think about it. When you have a cold, can you taste much? No. And it's because you're congested in the sinuses, right? Right. So that's much the same way with wine or any, when you're okay. tasting any food. You know, and, and that's why smell is a very, very important thing. Right. Okay. So what... 
Okay, I'm gonna try this. Let's see what I'm smelling. You're already drinking. Yeah, it, right? give it yeah. a shot. I haven't, I haven't, I drank, I drank some yesterday, oh. but I've had this wine a few times. Will it help if I taste and smell at the same time? Because I feel yeah. it. Okay, hold on. Yeah. So if you do that, as you taste, almost swirl it back into your mouth once you've been smelted and inhaled it, because you have orthal and uh, retral type tasting patterns. So one is based on as you sip something and you're breathing in the air will open up the flavor in your mouth. The mm. other part is uh, retro, which means it's almost like, not like backwash in a sense, but it's it sense that you sort of, you know, when you have something in your mouth and you recirculate it back in your mouth to retaste it, it's in your mouth already, you swish it around. They'll open up other characteristics. Okay. It may sound That's a little stupid. bit about it. No, say fruity, like fruity. It tastes a little fruity, and it is it definitely. dry? Is this dry? It's definitely a dry wine. Look, I'm nailing this shit, bro. I got the <laughs> shirt. I got the wine. I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm with you. What kind of, um, what kind of notes do you find on it on your nose? What do you oh. smell? God, that one I just don't think I'm as good. I'm trying. It's a. Uh... God, you know what? I don't even think that I have the proper vocabulary. To you smell describe. cherry? Oh, you get a, cool. oh, cherry's definitely in there. It, I don't know. Like everything smells like black, chocolate to me. You, you get blackberry? I definitely don't get blackberry. See, that's there's why you're a, a pro. Yeah, there's, it's definitely been barreled. I mean, there's um, a little bit of jamminess in the nose. There's uh, a little spiciness from the wood or the barreling on the nose. Now, when you say jamminess, do you mean like actual, like a jam, like a, a richness like of a, a jam? Like a strawberry, raspberry, okay. or cherry jam, yes. Interesting. That way. Um, oh, brother. You could definitely argue. You can definitely. Cheers. cheers. Yes. Oh, what are we doing? Cheers. Oh, my God. Cheers. Cheers. Hmm. So it's definitely dry. Right. Now, definitely got some weight to it. Like it's, right. it's now, pretty smooth. That. Okay. What's the weight? But, well, it comes from the skins of the berries partly. So this wine has a bit of tannins to it. So darker the wine, the thicker skin the grapes are. Cabernet Sauvignon tends to be a thick skinned berry. Okay. This is blended with Merlot. So Merlot is going to be more neutral and more of a mid-grade grape. If you think light in the red world, Pinot Noir is probably the easiest one to break down that people have heard of very right, readily that right. just drink but don't really know a lot about wine. Right. That's going to be a light-skinned grape. And okay. it's going to look like much lighter in a glass. If you put them beside each other, this would be much darker and heavier. The other one would be much clearer and lighter to look at. Right. now, uh, So color and the visual perspective of a wine tells you a lot about the wine. Okay, so now we're, we're sitting down. We're having a drink. It's wine time, right? It's five o'clock somewhere. And we got to have some wine chat, some wine conversation. So I want to get to know a little bit more about you. What's your passion outside of wine? What's something that really makes your, oh, man. your heart pound? I, I, I like a lot of things, you know. Um, I have business interests. I love traveling. Like if it gets right down to a route, I love so I love social settings and places like lounge bars and that where you can talk, communicate, they're vibrant. Right. Like Joey's comes to mind on Rito Street. You know, yeah. you get there, it's got a pile of people in it. In normal times, there's a lot of energy, there's music playing, and people are just engaging and socializing. It makes you think of life in Europe, in a sense. If you've, if you've ever traveled through Europe or in the Caribbean with the tiki bars and the little beach bars and huts, 
it's, um, you know, it's always great to unwind in those settings. I love to travel. I'm a big foodie. I'm a big sports fan too. I'm an avid sports fan. And who's your team? Hockey. Hockey. I like Pittsburgh. Oh, really? Now, did you like Pittsburgh back in the day, like with Mary Lemieux and when, you know, Sid the Kid first yeah. joined the team, stuff like that? Well, yeah. it was well before that. I started following them in the 80s, and it was more when Lemieux got onto the team. I didn't really have a defined team, although I followed hockey from when um, I first moved to Toronto as a kid. My dad was in the Navy, so we moved around a little bit. And I had right. family or uncles that had emigrated from Guyana, South America. That's where the bulk of that family was. And, but they loved hockey. So that first time I ever really watched hockey, I think I was about six years old and the Leafs were on. But I was never a Leafs fan. <laughs> I just watched the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I found out all my cousins that I'd barely known from this part of the world, from my, from my Canadian side of the family, were, you know, Montreal Canadian fans. And then, of course, there was the inflection of, Wayne Gretzky in the WHL in 1979 and 80 when the Islanders were the powerhouse. And that's sort of when I really started following it, collecting sports cards. And I got into it. Okay. And it wasn't really till high school with Lemieux before it was before they won the cup. I started following him. I'm like, wow, this guy's awesome. You know, he's big, he's powerful, yeah. he's Canadian, he's well spoken. He's this big, strong guy who moves around with such grace and agility on the ice. Yeah. And that's what got me into the team. And I'm loyal. Okay. I mean, a lot of people wonder how the hell I'm not a Sens fan living in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. I actually cheer against the Sens, but yeah. you know, it's <laughs> I got a but, chance to, you know, to meet Lemieux. He's a giant. He's a, he's a big, big man. And hockey cards are making a huge resurgence right now with the new grading system that they have out there. So if you have some, I trade and sell hockey cards and collect hockey hey, cards. We should hey, do that wow. too. Yeah, I have are a you familiar. Are you familiar with PSA and Beckett for grading yes, systems? Yes, yes, okay. so yeah. I, I used to. I was trading and selling NFL sports cards for a little while, and the last card I sold of really high value, I had an Andrew Luck, Topps five star. I think it was a booklet of a signed, autographed, numbered card with a jersey piece in it, and I had a Robert Griffin the third card I'd been on, and at the time these guys were rookies, so they were worth something, right? Mm -hmm. And um, the redemption for the Griffin card fell through. And at the same time, Andrew Luck had the same value. They were worth at that point, like 500 bucks for these books. And I'm like, give me the Luck card. He's a better player. So I got the Luck card and I sold it. I eBayed it for like a thousand dollars or something. Nice. And it was just, but there's a lot of money to be made. So what I did was I shipped it down to Beckett grading and it came back as a nine out of 10. So wow. it was like better than mint. Yeah. Oh, I fantastic. moved it from that point. Yeah. I was, I looked like I was like, yes, it's going to be a nine and a half or 10 because I can just shoot it through the roof. But the way that they grade these things, they take it under a microscope to see where all the edges. Oh, yeah, are yeah, yeah. And everything else. And it's free of abrasions, thumbprints. Somebody didn't lick it or put it in the spokes of a bike. Yeah. Like it <laughs> can you like imagine all the money we've lost? Uh, doing that oh, kind Wayne of Gretzky rookie cards in the spokes. Oh, of the bike. my mean, Lord. I did that with a couple of Brett Hulls and I didn't even fucking know. Killed me. <laughs> So cheers for that. Cheer, yeah, cheers to, to lessons learned. Uh, so it is. so let's get back into into the wine you were talking about, or people know about pairings and stuff like that. And you said like a, a wine like this would be great with like bar food, burgers, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean it's um, a lot of your barbecued foods in the summer. I wouldn't edge towards chicken or pork because this is a little too heavy. But if you have like the sirloin, a pot roast, uh, burgers, burgers are the easiest thing. Right. Pizza. If you got a meat lover's pizza, this would go down well with it. 
There's three things for your audience to remember with food pairing. It's the three C's. It's cut, complement, or contrast. Okay. And what that means is, for instance, if you got a fatty steak and this wine's got a lot of acidity to it, and this wine's moderately acidic, you, you, it's presently there, but it's not heavy. But the acidity will cut through the fat of something. Think about vinegar on fat. Mm-hmm. It's almost the same concept. High, right. acid, high acid, low pH content, chops right through it. Right. Compliment would be like, I've got a rich fruit cake in front of me or chocolate cake, and I've got a sweet ice wine or this sweet Riesling in front. So they complement each other. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sweet on sweet. And then contrast would be, um, I've got this Cajun dish or this East Indian dish that's spicy as hell. Or as you know, being part Caribbean as well, you've got pepper pots or something that's just sizzling with spice. And you take a sweet wine and you pair it with it. Okay. Like a Wurstraminer or Riesling. Right. So sweet and spicy all of a sudden pair, but they're contrasts, they're opposites coming together. Right. Now, why do people seem to poop on rosés? I remember taking a picture years ago with a rosé. What a mistake. I don't know why. <laughs> See, yeah. Mistake. Yeah, okay. because rosé is some of the most fruit. Now, if you're in a jam, you really don't know what the hell to pair anything with. I can guarantee you a rosé is probably going to cover you on about 60% of the basis points. Because okay. a rosé could blend in with chicken because it's got some soft fruitiness, strawberry, light cherry flavors. It can be dry. It can be off dry. But it cuts in with the butteriness of a chicken or the white meat flavors of a chicken. Um, it doesn't go against pork. It goes really well with things like pork. But think if you've got salmon or trout. Or we've got that Hawaiian pizza, or we get back to burgers, or sausages, or hot dogs. Whoa, Rose did you say captures. Hawaiian pizza? You don't yeah. put pineapple on pizza, Rob. This podcast is well, over. <laughs> well, <laughs> guess we're enemies. But I love, I, just, <laughs> I love pineapple on pizza. But it gives you an idea of the spectrum of things. So rosé, can it's like a funnel, right? If you look at a flavor wheel, each section kind of opens up like this going down around a wheel rosé is one of those things that fans open on it it's i think most people think rosé is cheap wine but it's not um there's rosé is kind of unique in the sense that it's either red grapes that soak for a very short period of time so when you're fermenting red wine it's two three weeks sometimes longer and it really soaks the skins and it saturates it and it becomes heavier okay Rosé is often up to a 36 or 48 hour process, be 12 to 48 hours. Or what they do is they're making a very heavy red wine to get that red wine to be heavier, but to have an offshoot of it, they will bleed off. This is the bleed off technique or runoff is the easier way to describe it. In the tank, they'll run off when it's in its early stages of fermenting some red wine that comes out as rosé or pink wine. And it allows the other batch to get heavier and darker and deeper. So you create two wines from one, one grape set. Okay. But red wine is also, it's also social. Think about it. I'm outside. It's a hot day. I've got a fruit plate in front of me. You know, I've got strawberries, some mango. I'm thinking of cantaloupe, uh, pineapple. Well, a heavy red wine is certainly not going to go with that. Right. But you've got a rosé. Depending on the style, it's going to capture some of it. Obviously, more specific, sweeter, aromatic whites would be a better option, but it gives you a picture of what you can do with it, right? right? That same wine can carry through a lot of the courses of a meal if you're trapped. Okay, so I want to just touch on white wine briefly because I want sure. to get to the Rattler as well. 
Uh, just, yes. I guess, in regards to just a dry white and I guess what would be the opposite of dry, a, a wet white, what would be just uh, a couple of simple food pairings just wrapped up quickly? Well, this is the time for seafood, right? People are going to want to hit patios. They're going to go to a bar and say, where's my chucked oysters? Like, you know, remember Big Daddy's Crab Shack that yeah. used to be on August Street, stuff like that. Or they're going to want calamari out on the patio. Have it with Sauvignon Blanc or really good Pinot Grigio. Okay. You know, those are two picks. Um, Sauvignon Blanc is going to be a lot more fruity and aromatic. The other one's going to be more reserved, more citrusy. Uh, but they're two great wines that just go with things like that. Out on a hot day, we're getting into the warm weather. Or what up? You know, you're out on the boat. You're uh, in a cool <laughs> setting, like a cottage, right? It's summertime. Right. Or you're at a lodge or one of these trailer sites that's set up as permanent campgrounds. Right. Everybody congregates outside. It's 85, 90 degrees outside. You know, Sauvignon Blanc, which is dry, crisp, fruity in flavor, or Pinot Grigio, which is light, citrusy. These are awesome options. And okay. then think about what you're eating out there. You're going to have some light finger foods, right? Okay. It'll go well with it. Perfect. Awesome. Great recommendations. And I don't mind a little bit of seafood myself. Love my shrimp. My shrimps. Uh, now, yeah, so shrimps, yeah. Awesome. Exactly. I want to get into something a little bit more serious. If you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. But I know that you're generally pretty public. And I didn't want to start off uh, our wine tasting thing on what might be seen as a low note. Because I want to make sure that when we have this Rattler, we're doing a cheers to two very special people. And you share your story about your sister uh, on your social media and how important your sister was to you. And yeah. I, I lost my mother five years ago and she was it's never easy. My best friend loss is loss. Right. And it affects it each and every one of us differently. So I want to make sure before we get into this Waterloo Rattler, we're going to have a cheers to these two wonderful women. And I'd love to just give you an opportunity to, you know, celebrate your sister and share a little bit of that story, if you don't mind. Well, you know, obviously we're twins and uh, took a while to get over that loss and you're never really over it. You know, you think about them every day. I think it's more that you, to get over grief, the best way to do it is to embrace your grief. It sounds odd, but you have to take it head on. And what also helps is I'm fortunate that I've got strong family and friends around me. Right. I mean, you're only as strong and as successful as the network that you have. Right. And fortunately, I've got some, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have a pretty deep and wide collection of really good people around me. Like, I mean, it's one of my great blessings in life because I say, if you got a couple people you can trust around you by the time you die, you were very lucky. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I've got quite a bit more than that. But, you know, it's also an advent of always working on relationships. And this is all ties into this. When you experience a traumatic loss, like you did with your mom or I did with my twin sister, um, especially the twin, it feels like part of you dies for a while. It's weird. And then I now feel that I've absorbed a lot of her and we've become one person in me. That's awesome. Odd. It is. It's weird. Like I'll catch myself saying things that she would say. I'm like, did I just say something Lisa would say exactly? And you kind of stop and go, well, I did. Or you're looking at something and you can almost feel them gazing through your eyes and they're there with you. You're like, wow, this is strange. But it's in a warm and pleasant process because I had such an excellent relationship with her. Yeah. It's like your mom. You know, we have the blessings to look back on a lot of happiness and joy in relationships that were very positive mm -hmm. and harmonious. I couldn't imagine trying to do this and, you know, 
much love to all the people out there that experience this, but broken homes or homes where they have turmoil. You know, we know that there's tons of that out there. Mm -hmm. And that is a tougher challenge. And I mean, that's for me, that's one of the things that wasn't there, which allowed me to pick up and move forward. But I also channeled my energy into this and into my passions. And I realized life is short. Um, it's long and short. You know, we do live quite a long time, but it goes quickly if you waste it. And, you know, you want to be productive with it. And uh, the realization of that became much deeper and stronger with the loss of my twins. So I channeled it into positive outlet outlets. But I mean, don't get me wrong. There are days where like yesterday I was walking along and all of a sudden there's a thought of her and it's coming out of the LCBO. It was all happy. It's sun shining. It's nice out. And then I was just like, ah, oh, she's not here. Yeah. And it's like a punch hits you right out of nowhere in it. And it knocks your lungs out. And you know what? What I say to people is don't be afraid to communicate about it. Don't be afraid to talk about it. And one of my good friends, his name's Don Lachance. He's like a uh, crypto and gold expert kind of in the city, but he's a loss and grease specialist. And he's older. He's a mature man. He's 68 years old. He's been around the block and he uh, had to conquer addiction and the damage it did to him. And he got together with me and he said, you know, the best thing you can do is let it out. Otherwise, what people will do is get into short-term energy releasing behaviors, which is called STIRBS. And you think about it, you have to see the loop. And it's not like I didn't catch myself acting out of character over the healing period or doing things I shouldn't be doing. You know, and that happens to everybody, whether good or bad. It's because you're affected. And I think the sooner you realize what it is, and it's the trauma of losing somebody so tied to you that they would also want you to be the best version of you right and i think by being able to channel all these things together it's helped me out tremendously you know and having the guts to speak about it because the worst thing you can do and i've got family members that do this they internalize and then you, you don't know what they're thinking and then i'm pretty sure when the doors are closed they're collapsing somewhere in misery because right. they haven't allowed all this right. stuff out if I can interject there, I talk about Star Wars a lot when it comes to the passing of my mom, believe it or not. Like, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, when he, he allows himself to get struck down by, oh, spoiler alert. Yeah, but Darth Vader kills Obi-Wan and he lets it happen because Obi-Wan <laughs> knows that he can, he can be much stronger as a force in people's lives. And as much as I'd love to have my mother here with me, I know that I would not have evolved into the person I am today five years later if she was here. It's kind of the greatest gift that someone can give you if they were a positive influence on your life uh, is that you become a, a better version of yourself. And like you said, picking out the attributes subconsciously or, or whatnot or spiritually, however it might come to you, uh, but that person continues to live on through you and you can further their legacy, which is really the, the truest meaning of a legacy. So cheers to two lovely ladies. Yes. God bless and much yeah. love to them. And much love to anybody who's experienced loss. You know, absolutely. I'm on Facebook. If you ever want to reach out afterwards, I, mean, I don't know you and you want to ask about loss, please contact me. I'm, I'm happy to help out people in this area. Right. It's, it's just it's nobody, only... nobody should go through this alone. That's, that's yeah. the number one thing. I mean, it's going to happen to everybody. And this journey is just, it'd be viciously brutal alone. It's only 50 bucks an hour and you have to bring booze, but he'll take care of you. So hold on, I, I think I got some ice left here. I just put a little bit of ice. Don't put ice in that, Rattler. No ice? No. No, okay, hold on, I poured out the ice, shit. 
Okay. Just no have ice. it chilled in its natural state. So okay. I've got the grapefruit version. You have the pineapple version. I wish I could find the pineapple version, but it, right. it's hard to find right now. It's like four stores in the entire city that I are all bought different more. quadrants. I could have sold yes, it like but, hockey cards. I could have made a. I could have made a yes, profit. Yes, but the good news is we're rolling into summer season. So how this started was um, I'm trying to remember if it's Franz Kruger. Uh, that's our Kugler. So it's Franz Kugler. That's it. So he was a Bavarian innkeeper in 1920s in in Munich, and Radler is basically means cyclist. So in the hot months, all these cyclists are whipping through Europe, Munich, and the southern part of Germany. It's a warm part of Germany, a beautiful scenic part of Germany. It's also beer country in Germany. Heavy part of beer country comes from Bavaria, okay. and. He wanted a beer style that cyclists could enjoy readily. And at the time, in the 20s, you know, lagers were making a big booming appearance, but people still drank these heavy ales. And what he did was he took a light carbonated lager and figured out if you add lemonade or soda to it, it becomes hydrating and refreshing for these cyclists to pass oh. through and drink it. Oh, wow. And that's how this style got created. We call it a shandy. Do you remember when your dad used yes. to look at you and go, Son, dump the fucking lemonade in there. I want some shandy. <laughs> Get me another beer. Yeah, I Get got me you. another beer, you little bastard. Get over there. But, you know, it's like my dad freely talked to me that way, even though he loved me deeply. But he was yeah. a pretty military man and a tough man. Right. But, uh, but he would be like, that. Robert, grab the lemonade. Yeah, and, and, and they let you have a puff of the cigarette, too. You want to smoke? Okay, take a smoke. <laughs> yeah, no, they didn't do that with me, fortunately. But I have cousins that tried to do that, but not not my dad or my uncle. Okay. But this is a great style of beer. I mean, this is we talk patio in hot weather. I've got the grapefruit version here. The pineapple version's awesome. Like, brother, there is no, I don't, the nodes or whatever, like, this smells like pineapple. It's in my fucking brain right now. I love this. Now, now this could be juice added to it during the brewing process or afterwards. Mm, yeah, that'd be a great idea, actually, to add a little bit more. So there's different ways to do this. So um, predominantly, I mean, they're, they're very light, neutral hops in here, nothing intense. Because you don't want any bitterness in this style. You want right. this style to be light, effervescent. I mean, look at the carbonation on it. You can just right. see the bubbles. Right. It almost looks like, it looks like, you know what I compare it to? You know, your pool side and people are like, oh, my mimosa with my both glycol and my orange juice. Yeah. Well, screw it. Have a Rattler. That's your beer version of a mimosa. It's yeah. a beer mimosa. <laughs> mimosa. I like it. And have this, have this with waffles at breakfast or something. You know, imagine that in breakfast in right. the morning with, or just as instead of your OJ, you crack this Rattler and you've got your uh, steak and eggs, your eggs and bacon. You're sitting out on a nice deck somewhere. Rob, I back. think I think you might have a problem. <laughs> Eight o'clock in the morning, have a Rattler, maybe two. <laughs> okay, let this me grapefruit right. version is excellent. This is Waterloo. So Waterloo is a obviously a craft brewer, Waterloo, Ontario. Wow. But uh, the grapefruit version of theirs is quite exceptional, and it's it's. You know, some styles you get kind of tart grapefruit. This is sweet. This mm -hmm. is actually a sweet. This is like soda pop. This so, honestly tastes you know, like this tastes like pineapple juice. Yeah, it's awesome, and it's beer. Yeah, Here's the best part of it. So you know, you think about it. Wouldn't this go well with a pork loin? Because you know, right. you have pork with fruit. Right, right. So many different things. Well, this would also, I guess, go well with a uh, pineapple pizza. Right? <laughs> yeah, I nailed it. You're like, you can work with me now. I'm, I'm part of uh, the Drunken Grape team. Hired as part of the virtual <laughs> event. Team. But, you know, it's, it's, you think about it, 
women in particular, and it's funny because you sit down, a lot of women are wine drinkers and they go, I don't really like beer. Until you introduce them to two specific styles. Typically women like stouts because it's got that coffee, mocha, chocolate inflections in it. Mm -hmm. And it's rich and they like it. Right. Uh, or Guinness, even to start them off, like, I actually like this beer. It's a shocker to them. Or something like this. They're like, I don't like beer. And you hand them a Rattler and they're like, oh my God. this. And then next thing you know, they're stealing the can from you and running yeah. off the campsite or whatever. With it. This it's is because it's, it's friendly. It's, 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 it is dangerous. But fortunately, you're low alcohol, two and a right. half to three and a half percent. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think Coors Light was watered down, you haven't had one of these yet, but it's delicious. This is fan This is my go-to every morning now. Thanks, Rob, for ruining my life. <laughs> Make sure to wash it down with a couple cigars. You know, it's just, you'll be all right. Right. Actually, here, that's a great, I'm glad you brought that up because I am a cigar <laughs> smoker. I love my cigars. And so I'm going to guess for the most part, if it comes to cigars, it's, it's usually a, a red wine it would be something a little bit stronger or am I way off with that? Very strong. So I would go in, uh, I mean, the ultimate expressions with uh, cigars, I'm not a cigar expert, but obviously you need your humidor and you need to measure it and mm -hmm. store it. And there's different types of, of tobacco lease, which also inflect different flavor types right. and flavor notes, but typically brandy and port wine or sherry tend to go really well okay. with cigars or scotch or bourbons, like some liquor or variant of liquor. So the wines I'm recommending, right. like port, is a fortified wine. So what that means is there's a certain level alcohol wine can only get to an alcohol level. It's usually about 17% at the maximum. And that's when you have really high sugar values in the grapes because the yeast needs to eat the sugars and it excretes it as alcohol. That's how you get booze. Okay. And then the side shoot, there's a bit of sulfites and a lot of CO2 that pump off from, from the formation of alcohol and the fermentation process. Right. So getting back to that port wine, what happens is that they take one fifth of its brandy that's like alcohol and they spike it to about 22, 24%. It kills all the yeast. And it moves the wine right up to this liquored wine at 22, 24%. But what they'll often do on the sweeter styles is they'll ferment it until it's about 8, 10, 12. That the yeast hasn't killed off all the residual sugar. So there's residual sugar in there as well. And you have now this fortified wine that's halfway towards having a shot of vodka, basically an alcohol strength. Right. And that stuff tends to lend itself to go really well with cigars because, I mean, cigars are pungent. They have strong, pure tobacco aromas and things like that. You're going to need to have a strong spirit mm -hmm. or a strong wine fortified, ideally, to cleanse your palate, to enjoy it with that, right. with that pairing. So we're going to do this again, though, but with cigars. Or know what? Regard we don't even have to record it, brother. I think we should just get together and have a cigar. I think we deserve that. Hold on. Well, there's also there's also the wine and weed world work opening up. I haven't really played into that yet, but you know right. that's another area that's probably going to be growing is the whole wine and weed experience, or wine and beer, or weed and beer, because hops and cannabis are related. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, and I've seen them infused. Yeah, and before. they grow together in the same fields. I mean, okay. one one is just they have alpha acids. And what that means is, have you ever smelt a sativa blend of weed where it gets fruitier and fruitier and more pungent? Drugs are bad, so no. So hops has the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> you so went you right get into <laughs> So you get into citra or cascade hops. These are two variant top types. Right. They tend to start to get more pungent and fruit aromas 
but they pronounce more bitterness as the alpha acids get higher. The only difference is they don't have a THC count. Right. Okay. That's one of the main, or, and I don't believe there's CBD in there either, but the two plants are definitely correlated. Now, Rob, I've taken up quite a bit of your time and I want to make sure we get to what you do. And I want to make it very clear that what he's doing with me, like all this smart, sophisticated stuff, he'll do that all day when you do a virtual wine tasting. I'm an idiot and I don't know what I'm doing. And he's been so kind. And that just goes to show. Well, hopefully we've story. educated you, right? Hopefully we've spun right. the wheels a little bit in your head. But and that goes um, to show that goes to show how versatile you are to where you can adapt and this and that. I am not a typical guy, probably, that comes to you for one of these experiences. So for the individual that is more interested in really getting to know more about wine, to get more out of their wines. I mean, if you're going out there and you're spending the money, that's an investment. You'd want to get the most out of your investment and you can like actually physically help people do that. Well, I can, but my focus is a lot. I mean, there's a lot of aids out there already that I can finger point people to. I mean, there are people who specifically work with sellers, but I mean, to get to that level, most of them are like, you know, masters of wine working with billionaires and millionaires specifically. But it's for me, I focus on my business is really focused on two streams heavily. One of those video productions for wineries and breweries, particularly more craft oriented pieces of businesses that have a rich history. They produce excellent quality products, but need exposure. And I've developed quite a vehicle on social media to do that for them. Um, the other is virtual tasting events. So this came from the death of my live event business at the start of the pandemic. And I always wanted to cross borders. So I picked up business into the States with some financial companies and other entities, which is very cool. And the whole experience is a lot like the way we discuss things. You know, and I'm now partnered with a company uh, in process with a piece of business that they do virtual dinners as well. So I'll be doing that in with the virtual, the whole virtual wine or beer tasting and dinner experience as another option. But a lot of my business is corporate groups, you know, up to 30 people. It's usually brackets of a big company or it's a mid-sized company that just wants to get everybody together. And the six, it's been very successful. I've actually had quite a few bookings. Now I'm coming out of a dry period, but this is normally, you know, the end of getting past halfway through January, especially into early March, is normally sabotaged in the, the normal event world with an uptick on Valentine's Day, but we were locked down during Valentine's Day this year. So it's kind of no uptick, but the whole experience just brings people through what I call infotainment. So you don't want to kill them with subsoils, differences and monopoles and burgundy between one acre to the other, or you don't want to bore them with getting into how we talk about how soil does affect flavor. That's about all you want to say. You don't want to start saying, well, you know, high magnesium content makes a sharp or gives a sharper edge to it or calcium or magnesium helps with the acidity levels right. or volcanic soils. I mean, you're going to put people to sleep. The bottom line is they want fun fact history. They want to know how the whole generalities of this came to be. Then you bring and highlight the stories of the wineries and breweries specifically to life. Then you get into the funnest part, which is drinking and tasting. Hey. And then you talk about the food pairing ideas, what to get your wife at Christmas time or Valentine's Day, what the surprise are with. If you're, what do you surprise your husband with if you're the wife or, you know, what if it doesn't matter what, what is your other significant other into? And these are things you share. And it's, um, the key is engagement. 
You want to engage people. Right. And that's what we do really at the Drunken Grape is that that's the business premise is to bring to life the world of wine and beer, but in a very fun and engaging and fun format where you get everybody in. And it's cool because you'll get off these pieces of business. They'll say to the client, great, it was awesome serving you. Um, you know, we're wrapping up time here. And then they'll call you back going, wow, the party's just continued. They just triggered another Zoom call on their own. And they just start awesome. laughing and somebody puts on music and a DJ in the background. But I offer a range of those services too for people who really want to delve deep. But it's it's really um, beer is actually taken off a bit better than wine. And I think it's because particularly here in Canada, there's so much abundance of great beer. Right. And it's also one of those things that it's easier to mobilize and ship around and it's less expensive. Oh, awesome. And Rob, because if, people wanna, yeah. if people want to find out more about you, where do they go? Well, they can go to my YouTube channel, The Drunken Grape. They can find me on LinkedIn under my name, Rob Statham, or they can find my Facebook page. I'll start my website that's well-developed, um, www.thedrunkengrape.com. Okay, and I'll and make if sure they need to have that, those links. And I'll make yeah, sure to have those links wanna, in the profile for you. And if they want to inquire, just hit me up at info at thedrunkengrape.com. All right. Well, Rob, thank you for being quite possibly the most well-dressed individual on the podcast. Uh, I've, I've, I've met my rival, my nemesis, you know, it's whatever. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie has hair. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Ow! God, it's, it's all going on the back. That's why I keep it short uh, all over. It's still growing there. But all anyway, right. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. As you get old. <laughs> uh, uh, another cheers. Another cheers yes. uh, to a wonderful cheers podcast. Thank you very much. Thank and, you for having me. Yeah. Uh, happy start to spring coming up buddy this is the other exciting news Absolutely. you know the weather is going to turn yes and for you know you the viewer or whether you're listening wherever you might be uh thank you for tuning in you take care be well and love simply because you can <laughs>